With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This interview is with Scott Lawwin, the CEO of Candy Digital. Candy has raised over $100 million in less than two years, straight out of the gate, with a valuation over $1.5 billion. They are creating NFTs. They partner with uh, large-scale large ticketing agencies, um, uh, professional sporting organizations, and he describes exactly how they do it. The project started as a joint venture between Galaxy Digital uh, and Fanatics, and we talked about the origin of the project, how they're doing, his long-term views on NFTs and crypto more generally, and just his overall journey, which is fascinating. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott Lawin. Scott, we are live. Thanks for hopping on today. You bet, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. You're you're running one of the most interesting projects slash companies uh, I've seen and had the chance to talk to. the The thing that struck me in doing research on Candy was the the structure of the origin uh, with, with with the JV between Galaxy Digital um, and uh, Fanatics. I, I, I want to ask you about that story. Where were you positionally as these two companies? How, like, how did those early conversations go to to structure the business? Yeah, so, um, you know, really interesting way that Candy kind of came about, um, a, a lot related to sort of my background. So my career prior to entering the Web3 space uh, was in finance. So I spent kind of 27 years in uh, in finance and in various forms. Uh, along that journey, uh, I met and became business partners with Mike Novogratz, the founder of Galaxy Digital. And so really my entry into sort of the blockchain space happened in 2016, uh, you know, around the time that Mike was really ramping Galaxy up. And so my, my first sort of foray into uh, blockchain and crypto was really through the lens of finance, right? It was sort of looking at cryptocurrencies and smart contracts and really looking at through the lens of, okay, what does this mean from a traditional finance perspective? How is it going to be disruptive? You know, what, what were, this was, that was back in the days of ICOs, um, you know, was this going to change the way financing worked? Were these securities, et cetera? Um, and so that that's kind of where I first sort of went down the rabbit hole and started to kind of educate myself and, and get involved in the space. Fast forward to 2020, um, you know, mid-pandemic, uh, Mike and I were, you know, kind of sitting down and talking about, you know, what we saw adoption look like, not just from an institutional perspective, but really you know, what, where we're going to get the next 1 million, 10 million, 100 million people right into the space. And so thinking about content as an on-ramp, 
uh, and looking at music and entertainment and sports and culture, uh, and they're really leaning into sports and saying, okay, billions of global customers, passionate fan communities, and a sports collectibles business that, you know, had existed for decades and was sort of turbocharged by COVID, um, you know, it feels like a, a, a place where you could start to see that extension of, you know, existing activities, bringing those things on chain, and then sort of moving from physical collectibles into digital collectibles. If you're going to start a business in the sports space, really number one, two, and three on the list of potential partners are Michael Rubin and Fanatics. And so that's really how, uh, you know, kind of that uh, union came together, the joint venture between Galaxy and Fanatics. And then as we were preparing to announce the launch of the company in, uh, in June of last year, you know, we added a third founding board member, which is Gary Vaynerchuk. And, you know, for folks who know Gary, Gary's really at the heart of not just the sports collectibles business, but, you know, early pioneer and adopter of really seeing the potential of, of NFTs and, and Web3, right? And so uh, that's really kind of how the dream team from founding board came together and, and how Candy got its start. Interesting. And um, yeah, I think probably more people are familiar with Gary than they are with Galaxy or maybe even Fanatics. Uh, yep. what, what's the what's the what's the main business line for Galaxy Digital and and also separately, but for Fanatics? Yeah, so so Galaxy really is kind of, you know, the premier merchant bank in the blockchain and crypto space. So think of, you know, um, think about what Galaxy is doing as sort of building uh, the Goldman Sachs of crypto. So, uh, you know, a, a trading desk, an investment banking advisory firm, uh, a, a private equity sort of venture fund management business. And really, Mike Novogratz was kind of the earliest uh, sort of senior person in the, you know, trad sci world really telling the story of digital assets, right? You know, and why blockchain was going to transform not just finance, but, you know, culture and art and, you know, connect with uh, everyday people that, you know, and not just be a store of value or something that the crypto native community is betting on. Fanatics is the world's largest e-commerce player in sports uh, and and really around sort of sports apparel, um, it, essentially running the, e-commerce sites for Major League Baseball, the NFL, um, you know, strong relationships with teams, leagues, and athletes. Um, and so bringing together uh, the, not just the content component, but the commerce component in the sports space. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. 
They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Mm, interesting. And then uh, the strategy, or at least what played out, was pretty early on, the company raised $100 million from SoftBank and Insight Partners which is kind of what, what sparked the whole project. I, I feel generally that you, you had the option to do that, you know, if, infiltrate a ton of capital. If you have like celebrity founders, like what Quibi did, or if you have joint ventures with other invested partners, some sort of momentum to kick it off. How, what was the, you know, typically 99% of the time, it's like, Family fund puts in 300K. They find product market fit, series A, seed round, series B, C, D, IPO, $100 million raise. What was the, what was the, how was the path different on just injecting 100 million into this uh, from such an early stage? So I think what was differentiated about it was, was maybe two or three things. One was the fact that we launched the company with an exclusive partnership with Major League Baseball, right? A long-term partnership. And so, you know, Candy is a business that's set up to really focus on world-class IP and content and create officially licensed collectibles across sports, entertainment, and culture. And so starting out with a partnership with Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, and then, um, you know, looking at launching our business in October uh, with the backing of Galaxy, of Fanatics, uh, Gary's involvement. I think what Insight and SoftBank and our other investors saw was, you know, a couple different things. One, uh, the idea that, you know, relationships and licenses in this space matter, right? That uh, we weren't uh, out there trying to create our own IP, right? Our own avatar project and hopefully it caught on, et cetera. We were connecting with, you know, the hundreds of millions of fans in the space uh, to onboard them into this world of digital collectibles and Web3. Uh, and that, you know, our ability to go and uh, source additional rights and additional partners, which which we have now with NASCAR, with WWE, with Netflix, with Getty Images in college sports, um, you know, that this was going to be a really big business. And so that was those were really the fundamentals, um, you know, for around our Series A race. Mm. And how do you think about the. The weighted influence of technology versus partnerships. I imagine if you have those partnerships, those are very difficult. There's only one, I imagine there's only one NFT partner for NASCAR. Uh, you know, there's confusion in the market or redundancy if you have multiple. So they pick one, you guys are the one. Is the technology kind of a softball, you know, like a layup, so to speak? Or is it really about the the big partnerships or how do you so I that. think it's, um, you know, listen, the tech is important. Um, you know, I think our, can't, our, our approach to the space is really around designing compelling assets, engagements, and building communities that connect to fans and connect to collectors, right? So 
you know, our thesis in the space is, you know, creating sort of the next generation of collectibles that connect people to their passions. Um, you know, the tech that we've built, uh, you know, is the full stack tech from, you know, our marketing to our design, to our primary, to our secondary, to our customer support, uh, to our community. Um, but the tech that we're building isn't necessarily going to fundamentally change the way that Web3 functions, right? And so, you know, we view ourselves as the institutional great partner for these world-class brands to bring their content and their communities into this space. And we ourselves are going to go you know, continue to go and partner with folks who are deep in the tech space. Um, and so, you know, we can we can have multiple partners there as this space continues to evolve. I think that was one of our core thesis was that, you know, in 2020, nobody really knew how to spell NFT, right? Unless you were sort of in the crypto space. In 2021, the world exploded $25 billion of volume later. Um, but as you know, we're still super early, right? And so this is very much about, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, reaching out to folks who are coming into this space for the first time with, you know, a fiat first approach, you, you're connecting them to the content and the stories that they love via a digital asset and then sort of showing them the path on how those digital assets can enhance that experience or the entertainment value or the connectivity or the rewards of being part of that community. Mm. And what have you found so far? I know it's kind of early and I know we just hit kind of a depressionary period on crypto in general, but are there, you know, you mentioned the collectibles sort of emphasizing that I'm picturing there's the in-person experience. There might be some enjoyment of having a, a piece of art or, or something, but I imagine the collectibles is largely associated with a audience base that is much more passionate than the average casual uh, NASCAR, you know, participant or, or NBA sports ticket holder. Yeah. So I think, you know, our, our kind of core philosophy here is that, um, there's kind of two important things. One is not trying to convince people to change the way that they engage or, uh, experience sport, but to take what people are already doing as fans and amplify that and add additional value through a digital collectible. And so if I just think about like kind of our, our core product sets, right? The first is a digital trading card, right? Which is sort of a, a, a natural evolution of the, you know, trading card 1.0, the piece of cardboard that, you know, we all grew up collecting and many people still do, right? We think of that as 1.0. We think of the digital picture of that as 2.0. And then we think about, you know, what we're creating, uh, which is, the digital collectible that's a static image, a video file, a digital signature, has audio, has motion graphics, and has dynamic statistics that actually change based on the player's performance, right? And so taking something that isn't just scarce and rare, you know, through the blockchain and through, um, you know, a, a release structure, but also connects people back to the sport in a real-time fashion, right? So that's an amplifying what people already do. We have a digital ticket product that, you know, harkens back to the days that you'd show up at the ballpark and get, you know, your ticket that you could put up on your bulletin board that doesn't exist anymore. And so our digital ticket, you know, has that, has that same commemorative value to the individual may not be worth anything in the secondary market, but that's okay. Right. You know, we're not in the business of just creating digital lottery tickets. We want to, we want things that connect people to their love of the sport. 
And then our digital memorabilia, um, you know, a digital jersey is a is an, a, a rare asset that you could collect, but it's also something that through an AR lens, you could wear and take a picture of and share out to your community, right? And so right. that idea of connectivity to the game itself, uh, the participation of the fan, and then this spectrum of digital only, digital physical, and digital experiential is, is really kind of what our whole thesis of the space is. It's interesting. The first thing that comes to mind when you sort of map that out, one, two, three, is what's four, five, six. And I, I tend to think that there's, this is, tell me your reaction to this, but I tend to think that there is a, like a centralization, decentralization, or organizational and then fragmented uh, uh, patterns to these things. So you have the, you have the, you know, originally you just have people throwing a ball around in a garage and then like put a rim up there, like we're bored. And then they throw it, throw it in. Okay, now we got basketball. And then basketball kind of grows and there's teams and there's people playing. It's really competitive and all people care about is basketball. And then there's like the, 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 the analog representation of the game. So you can't participate in the highest level. I can't afford to go to a game. I don't live in a tier one, whatever it is. Or even if I do go, I want to play when I get home. Even, even using that word play is like a reference to it. So I collect these cars. They're collectibles. I have all these collectibles. You get together with friends. It's like when you, when you care so much about it and you collect them, you want to engage other people. So I found one thing that was interesting about pogs is that you don't just collect pogs, you play pogs. So there's like a, there's like a competitive element to it with other people, like a gaming element. And I tend to think that there will be this continued pattern where like collectibles represent the real thing and then collectibles get more dynamic. Like you, you said, digitally, they're more dynamic. And then, th then they're now integrated with other people's collectibles and they're, in, they're somehow uh, competing or they're um, playing with each other. And now you're sort of like, you're like re reproducing the in, in life actual game in sort of a new remixed digital version. Does that yeah, resonate? With absolutely. That, and that's really, you know, that element of engagement is another sort of core part of what we're doing. It's so, you know, very simply, you know, we start out with collection challenges and all of our, you know, products that we release have an element of, you know, if you collect the full set or some subset, right, there's a reward or an upgrade. We've moved there now to burning challenges. And so, you know, one of the things, you know, if you were a traditional physical card collector, you know, when you opened up your pack of cards, you, you got a bunch of guys that you didn't really care about, right? They went in the trash or they sat in the shoebox. Well, now, you know, we've created ways for people to actually dynamically burn those NFTs and upgrade for a new rarity. And so it creates this really interesting sort of supply demand, uh, you know, dynamics some game theory around, uh, you know, let's let's just say you have an unpopular player and everybody wants to burn that player. Well, suddenly now that player who might have been a core rarity there's only a hundred of those left. And suddenly now that's hmm. a much rarer card than even some of the most popular ones, right? And so that sort of game theory is, you know, our community loves it, right? And they're, and they're super excited about it. And so then taking that to your point, um, using those dynamic statistics and starting to use the, you know, the unfield performance to create challenges and gamification, et cetera, like that, that's the next step. Yeah. yeah, it feels like it has to be because there's a certain attrition of attention, I think that's correlated with collectibles. You know, you, you collect them. And then if, if that's all there is, if there's just collection, then 
especially if it's digital, because you have to like boot it up, you know, it's not like a piece of art I can hang in the wall and sort of casually with no effort, but passively, I can get value from it by looking at it. Like if I have to double click on it, pull up the thing, it's like even in pogs, right? People tend to lose interest. I don't know what the numbers are, but I would imagine that people tend to lose interest on collectibles because you have to like pull it out of the shoebox, out of the closet, put it on the ground. Um, so people generally display collectibles, like if you're collecting license plates or bottle caps or whatever it is. But I do think you're, that sounds spot on to me that there, there, there has to be a continuation or there's just an atrophy of what you can do with these things. Well, I think um, there's also, you know, a, a, a future which we're testing today, which is also how these collectibles actually enhance and, you know, and amplify your experience. And so you can imagine um, we, we have a product which we call Play of the Day, right? And so every single day that baseball games are played, MLB determines the most important play of the day. We create that as a collectible overnight. We mint it for 12 hours and then it's done, right? And so some days we have 250 people who decide they want to get play of the day. Sometimes we have 5,000 people who want that play of the day, right? Depending upon who the player is, what, what it was, et cetera. But you know, if you own the icon, which is what we call our digital trading card of a particular player, you're at the stadium, you're sitting in the bleachers and that player hits a home run, right? Uh, you know, to where you're sitting in the bleachers, suddenly now your card can get upgraded. You can win that play of the day or you can win something else, right? And so this idea of how do you reward fans for their ownership and participation and, you know, not just sitting at home, you know, on their computer opening blind box packs, but actually at the at the stadium, right, or watching the game on television. And so, you know, we've been really lucky with Major League Baseball as a partner and with our other partners because they're they're leaning into this whole idea. Right. They see the future. They 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 want to find more ways to understand their fans and connect with their fans. And they see digital assets as, you know, as the path forward. Mm. One thing that comes to mind here is uh, the influence that a, a glasses that I put on that will augment or virtual my reality is is that uh, something that's like on the roadmap or is it more kind of high level thinking about what might be someday? How, how do you sort of see our transition from where we are now to, to I don't know when people say metaverse, I think they're just generally referring to all this Web three stuff. But I think of like specifically VR and AR, things that Meta are, are creating in Oculus. It's like something that ha I'm pretty optimistic, bullish slash optimistic on the impact that it'll have on, you know, even just this conversation, if we could have this in a setting where it's like indistinguishable from real life and we're at a coffee table, it's just so many things become so much more richer. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, so we uh, we're huge believers in you know the direction that we're going in terms of blurring the lines between digital and physical experiences, and so everything we design, we design as you know kind of a unity based you know AR or VR uh, asset, even if today the experience isn't there. And so you know what we think about is we think about okay, first of all, like you know like I said, sort of the digital jersey. Uh, it's a digital collectible, but through an AR lens, you can wear that jersey and and share a picture out, right? Um, ultimately, as we start, to, we're we're doing some interesting things in like, you know, three sixty video motion capture, where you know we're scanning physical objects and actual athletes, right? So you know, to get to the point where your favorite player 
uh, can show up in your living room, right? Swinging the bat and hitting that home run. And because we scan that player and rig them almost like a video game character, um, you know, what they do can change based on what they did the night before, right? So when you, when you pull up your Justin Turner uh, 3D figure and the Dodgers won the games, you know, he might be celebrating and his bat might be on fire, right? And so, you know, that can happen in your living room, right? And then as we get to a world where VR becomes, you know, more pervasive and I'm a little bit of a seller of the idea that everyone's going to walk around with uh, Oculus Rifts on their head, but, um, you know, those experiences will become more meaningful these assets will have a role there, right? And so, you know, this idea of composability across platforms and interactivity is just going to get richer and richer as this whole ecosystem gets built out. Sorry, when you say seller, are you able, uh, do you believe that's to be to the case? Sorry, that's a, that's a Wall Street trading term. I don't think we're going to get to a place where we're, you know, in a ready player one world where everyone just sits with Oculus Rifts on. But, um, but I think those experiences will become, you know, more pervasive. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has to be uh, like grounded locally, right, in your living room or yeah. something where you have the, first there's going to be the line and the big helmet and it's going to get super thick. Then as I look at you, you have glasses on. Eventually it'll be like, I don't even know if those are, yeah. It'll be, it'll be near field. I, listen, I, at the end of the day, right, not to get philosophical, right, humans are social creatures and, you know, well putting on, you know, an Oculus and being in a virtual world, you know, for anyone who's done it, right, you realize very quickly what the potential is because your mind believes that you're there. Um, but until, you know, it's like a, it's like the fax machine, right? The value of one fax machine is very low, but when you build the network, the value increases exponentially. And so as more and more people start to experience it, then it won't feel as strange where, you know, where I have my goggles on and everyone else is watching me we'll all be doing it together. But I think we got a ways to go to get there. And AR is going to be, I think, the, you know, the pervasive tech that bridges that gap. It's not, it's not going to go away and be replaced by VR. It's just going to become a more important version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to think, I, I tend to think that's right. Like there, there'll be an overlay, which probably is where the majority of the like collectible NFT, your world stuff sits on the AR side. Like I'm wearing glasses and then, you know, my, you know, on the table, there's nothing actually there, but on the table, I can see these cards and they're tied to a digital, unique, non-fungible token. So I. Yeah. And you think, I mean, listen, if you think about it, right, collectibles are about identity, right? They're about storytelling. They're about expressing my identity as a fan, either of a player or a team or a sport that I love. If they're about expressing my identity as a collector of art or music or whatever. And so. Uh, and they're about connecting with those stories, right? And so as you move into a world where AR, it becomes pervasive, right? I, I might have my NFT of the Green Bay Packers spinning over my shoulder, right? And for anyone who has the glasses on, you know, they see that NFT 
right? When, when they've got the glasses on, they know I'm expressing my identity. So you think about the way we express ourselves now through clothing, through accessories and things like that. Digital assets are just going to be a, another evolution of that. Yeah. I, I almost find that in, in times when technology accelerates the quickest, it's most helpful to have a strong philosophical grounding because the, yep. the potential for the technology to go in different directions is very high. And the practicality or the, the gut check on what we're building and why we're building it seems to be uh, correlated to, to the potential for the technology to go in different directions. It's like, well, if you could do anything in the world in this new, in this new virtual world, what do you do? Why do you do it? You know, the concept of a collectible to me themes, it seems like it's, it's collectible because it's unique. If I could just print a million of them defeats the yep. point. So NFTs create that potential for digitally represented collectibles. Then you say, well, why do we have collectibles? Is it, is it a sense of scarcity that people feel that they want something to, you know, preserve their wealth? Or is it like, I want to have fun because I'm bored? Or is it, I like connecting with other people? Like there's some, there's some bedrock to the emotional drive behind this whole movement. And I find if you're, if you're detached from that, you don't have to be a philosopher, but if you're completely detached from it, then you wind up like, you know, 10X leveraging on some, you end up becoming the, the buying at the peak, like, cause you, you're, you're sort of not grounded in like, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, listen, well, when we got started, we, we said very definitively, we're not going to build a company that just makes digital lottery tickets because, yeah. you know, there's a certain segment of people who will be looking for those, but there's no real sustainable value there, right? And so we think about, you know, this idea of value exchange. Um, there's no question that in the world of physical collectibles, you know, there's an economic value exchange. People want to find the rare version, right? Or they want to they collect the asset of the player who's a rookie who they think is going to become Mickey Mantle in the future, right? But there's other forms of value exchange, right? There's entertainment value, right? You know, co collecting something that is joyful to look at or compelling to look at has entertainment values. There's utility value, right? I, I've built my collection and, you know, maybe because I'm the biggest, you know, one of the biggest collectors of Yankees NFTs, I get to go to the stadium early and watch batting practice, right? There's mm -hmm. community value, right? Because now that I'm a collector of these assets, I'm part of a like-minded group. I mean, go to our Discord. I think we've got one of the best Discords in the space because not only are they NFT collectors, they're passionate baseball fans, right? And these people have become friends. They meet up and go out, you know, they go out to dinner together um, because they're excited about being on this journey and connecting their excitement of where we're going with Web3 with their passion for baseball. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to exchange value in this space. And if people only focus on Hey, I can mint it for 0.1 East and I hope it's worth five the next day. I think that's short-lived. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's, it's a good, I like that you bring that up because there's like, there's different almost hierarchies. So if you picture like social hierarchies in different domains, you have baseball, NASCAR, like even within the global domain of sports and people are in that community, they see what the top looks like and they know they, they recognize the hierarchy. Like if you win the game, it's better than losing the game. And if you win the series of games, that's the best. And if you win the series of games every season repetitively, like a franchise dynasty is like, that's the, that's the holy grail, right? Those are the people we, uh, we like worship effectively in this hierarchy the most. And I think the, the, the recognition that you're in this hierarchy, that you're participating in it as a fan says, this is, maybe I can't be a professional sports athlete, but I can at least 
like climb the hierarchy by being connected with that. Or there's, there's something that I think that people like deep down inside uh, hate feeling lost or, or any lack of identity. So, you know, typically I would say in the U.S., like it's been, and even in the last 19, 20th century, it's been country, like identify with my yep. country. And, and now that, that seems to be like rapidly disintegrating, the like religion is rapidly disintegrating. The people under 40 years old are like way less likely to go to, I forget what the stat is, but way less likely to go to church. The uh, 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 like loyalties to the country, self-identity of the country is decreasing. And I think this is like what you're creating this or helping to create this. These hierarchies are what people are identifying with. And these new like structures of value seem to be how we, the NFTs are almost like a mechanism for quantifying the social placement to some degree within these different areas. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of riffing on this a little bit, but. I, no, I think, I think you're spot on, right? And if you think about kind of what we just went through in, in kind of web two and the internet, right? What, you know, what the internet allowed you to do was to sort of find your people anywhere on the planet, right? Where, you know, pre-internet, depending upon where you grew up, right? If you were in a city, you had a much better chance of sort of finding the other weirdos like yourselves, right? With common mm -hmm. interests. If you grew up in the sticks, you might never find those people, right? Because because your your connectivity layer just wasn't there. The internet blew that wide open, right? Doesn't matter what your niche interest is or your passions. Like if you go digging, you can find it, right? What I think Web three does is it you know it brings ownership to that idea of community, right? Where not only are you connecting to those people, like you can now sort of own assets that. Uh, binds you together in an economic fashion, if it's a DAO or through a series of collectibles where, you know, you're on that journey in a much more invested way. And I think that's really interesting. And it's super early, right? We're, we're just going to con continue to see this sort of evolve and, and figure out what it becomes. Mm. Do you think there, do you think the influence of NFTs, uh, maybe broadly Web3, will increase the number of playing fields or, or will it act in the reverse where it consolidates them? So like, will there be new games created and new, like people are more diverse in their interests or do you think it kind of has the opposite effect? I, I, you know, I think it's going to do both. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the, the most powerful element of web three is, is really unlocking the creator economy in a, you know, much more significant way. And, you know, listen, this is, this is sort of motherhood and alpha pie in the space, right? But, but the idea of, you know, not just creators, but participants being able to sort of have ownership and an economic stake in building something together is a really powerful idea. And that's not going to go away. That said, um, that, that results in a lot of fragmentation. And so there will, I think almost by definition, be organizing principles that bring some of those things together and whether that's in an exchange or whether that's through a platform, because at, at the end of the day, you, you still have to find those other people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think it puts a lot of the power back in the hands of creators and communities. It takes away power from the intermediaries, which I think we all uh, feel is a good thing. But it doesn't mean that, you know, some of those centralization, uh, centralization is going to disappear forever. Like, you know, that that's the utopian vision that I just don't think humans are, are quite ready for uh, or necessarily want if they think about it. Um, but we'll but we'll find the right balance.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good point. How about within the different sports um, and the different categories that NFTs operate? Are there some that stand out from others? Are, like is NASCAR or MLB or one of these like very more popular than the rest? You know, for I mean, it's pretty early for us, right? So we we launched in June of last year with with Major League Baseball as our partner. As I said, you know, sort of now WWE, NASCAR, Netflix, Getty. We've got a couple of other sports properties that are sort of in the works. But the bulk of what we brought to market right now is around baseball. We're actually in the market with our first WWE product today. Um, and we're, you know, we're really excited about it. I think from our perspective, our approach to the space is there isn't a one-size-fits-all strategy. And so our strategy around what we're bringing to market with Major League Baseball isn't, we're not going to sort of copy and paste that for NASCAR or copy and paste that for WWE because the fans are different. The sport's different. The way people engage are different. And so for us, that's kind of the exciting thing is testing and learning. And you know, there's a universality, universality around collecting a card with a athlete's image on it and statistics. But the way that that looks for WWE is very different than what it looks like for baseball. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I imagine you would say you'd see it fragmenting out to eventually it's like every, you know, every sport is going to, no matter how rare it is, small it is, or why not? Yeah. And you just yeah, start at the top. I think in, in five to 10 years, digital assets are just going to be pervasive. We won't really call them NFTs anymore, right? They'll, they'll just be the things that we interact with and get when we buy a ticket or go to an event or, you know, join a community online and they become part of our digital identity and, you know, part of our experience. Right. And, you know, I, 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 as I say, on on many of these types of conversations, I, I want to put a bounty out there for people to find a better word than NFT. Right. Yes. I, I think it does. It does a disservice to, to where we're going because it turns people off. Um, and the idea is, is this is just a, it's a digital token. It's a digital receipt that represents ownership in something. Yeah. Yeah, I almost I almost think it'll just dissolve over time it, because it'll be no one says I'm going to go to the Internet to look something. Right, up, right. Exactly. You know, if you watch like old news channels, they're like, go to HTTP <laughs> www dot. You know, they, it's like they would always include the www dot. But now, like if you give someone your domain, it's like you wouldn't say yeah. www dot candy dot. You would just say dot com. The yeah. dot com yeah, at the end com. is the reference to it. So I. I almost wonder if there's like a, it's like a, there's like a dot. Like if I say, um, give your email, you know, just putting the at, just putting something and then at Gmail will indicate it carries, like it carries the concept of email within it with that little at sign. So I almost wonder yeah. if like, like the hashtag, right? Like when you see hashtag, it carries so much. It's like, okay, that's something that's, that's viral on the internet, probably on Twitter. It's going to be a clickable. So it's, it's like, we need a. We need the hashtag or at symbol. I think it's more like a symbol than it is another word. Yeah, it's a new word. What else is left on the keyboard? All right. It's got to be, let's go with dollar sign. Start, Sky, you're the guy. Let's go with the dollar sign. If it's got dollar sign name, that's the NFT. Yeah, too, 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 too much heavy association with dollar sign. We, we got to go somewhere else, but we'll figure it out. Oh, okay. Well, what's the next one? You got the ampersand. That's the next one. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so I want I'm curious to ask you about the market. Um, what would you sitting here August 16th? Uh, what do you take away? What are your like lessons learned or 
observations about other people's uh, on this like ri fast rise, fast fall. And now we're kind of figuring out what's next. How do you sort of 2020 analyze it? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I guess what I would say is um, it, it wasn't, it's not totally unexpected. Certainly if you've been in the crypto space, you've, you've, you've seen the run-ups and the, and the retracements for sure. Um, I think what got people, uh, and, and like any new tech, right there, you know, lots of people get excited about it, sort of rush in, uh, the market gets ahead of itself. It re it retraces, it flushes out the folks that, you know, are the tourists, not the, you know, not the settlers. And then you kind of go on to the next phase. Right. And I think that's exactly what happened. Right. Like, like I said, in, at the end of 2020, no one was talking about NFTs in 2021, Everyone wanted to mint an NFT, buy an NFT, trade an NFT, et cetera. And, you know, as you know, the, the, the barriers to entry uh, are, are pretty low for people to come into the space. And so um, a lot of people got excited about the potential. Um, you know, probably an even greater number of people got excited about the idea that, hey, I can make a whole bunch of money, either buying these things, trading these things, or starting a company in the space. And then what you realize is that um, when you look at the headline numbers and you say, oh, my God, you know, two billion dollars of, uh, you know, board apes of trading uh, money is falling from the skies. And then you look under the curtain, and you say, well, there's really only three thousand people who are trading those. Like, well, uh, how, how many people are actually in the space? Right. How how scalable is it? Right. And when when where are we? And so, you know, we uh, I, I think it, have tried to be very conservative in the way that we approach the space. And in particular in sports and licensed properties, you know, we went from January of last year where we were explaining what blockchain was and what NFTs were to suddenly, you know, six months later, sports leagues and teams getting 93 different proposals to be their NFT provider. Wow. And, you know, and suddenly the, the money that was getting thrown at the space because the VC community was underinvested got way ahead of itself. And so, you know, we, we walked away from some very significant partnerships because the dollars uh, and cents didn't make any sense in, in terms of, you know, what partners were looking for. Um, we weren't predicting that, you know, the market was going to reset to the degree of, that it reset, but we very much said from the early days that 97% of the NFTs that were being created were probably going to be worth, you know, zero or very little, you know, 12 to 24 months from now. And so, you know, we've kind of seen that first wave. And so I think, you know, like anything, if you approach this with a longer term vision of where you're going and, and to say, listen, we're not we're not just in it to make a quick buck. We're in it to really build a sustainable company and sustainable partnerships. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're selling $15 or $20 products to consumers. We're not trying to, you know, create $100,000, you know, NFTs overnight, just a different philosophy. And so I, I think to, to kind of level set on where we're at, the, the market has reset itself. Some of the folks who showed up uh, are, you know, aren't going to get washed out, but the handful of companies that are really thoughtful about what's being built and why it's important and how you do it um, are going to be the leaders of the next wave. And, you know, we can certainly think we're one of them. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. What's a typical, you mentioned 93 NFT providers coming in. I'm sure the marketing offices at some of these sporting companies must have been overwhelmed. What, what does a typical 
structure look like? I, I know, I'm assuming you can't speak specifics about anything, but just broadly speaking, like, is the money flow from the company, uh, from say like NFL as an example, to some NFT provider to like, how, what, what, would, what, what are the typical talking points? It's, you know, I mean, listen, each of these are unique snowflakes. Uh, but, you know, what I would say is that the, the, the licensed NFT business um, has, has kind of evolved very quickly, you know, to mirror the traditional licensing business. And so generally you have kind of a revenue share with your content partner. And then depending upon the length of the agreement, um, you may or may not have some sort of financial guarantees, uh, you know, that, that you're going to deliver whether or not you sell those products, right? So, you know, if, if you're the NFL, to use your example, and, you know, you want to you license their logos to create T-shirts, right? You're going to pay a percentage of those profits to the NFL to use those logos. And, you know, they might ask you to, you know, pony money up up front to kind of secure the fact that, you know, you're locking up that, that license. What's different, obviously, in the NFT space is it's not just the initial sale, it's also the secondary sales, right? And so the revenue streams uh, are in perpetuity, you know, because, because the assets are on chain and, you know, distributed on the internet. And so, you know, it's a different model from that perspective. But, you know, I, again, like anything, I think people tend to take existing models and extrapolate them to, you know, new technology. And so, you know, you take individual athletes, agents who, uh, you know, their job is to negotiate, uh, you know, big numbers for their athletes to be, uh, uh, you know, on a billboard or on a, on a product, you know, they were drooling, you know, when they, when they, when the NFT opportunities came around and, you know, what you found was there was a bunch of companies that went and signed those deals who now can't sell any NFTs, but they still owe those guarantees. And so listen, that, that'll all get sorted out in the next year. But it's not player specific. It's not like you would have a contract with the NFL and then you'd also have contracts with each of the players. Some companies have done that where they've, oh, okay. they've done deals with individual players. And, you know, if they couldn't get a deal with the league, then they said, hey, player X, I want to I want to do a deal just with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I can't use the I, I can't use a picture of you, you know, in your jersey, but I can use a picture of you in your T-shirt throwing a football. Right. And I'm, I'm going to make an NFT of that. Right. OK. So that would be more like, uh, like I'm picturing like what brands compete over, like Nike. And uh, yeah. Under Armour, they're, they're not competing. They don't put the NFL logo on there. They put, you know, the commercial has like LeBron. It doesn't have LeBron in an NFL or a NBA right. background. Uh, interesting. That's like a whole nother level of competitive bidding. And probably, I'm sure you guys have teams of people that engage with We do. We've got, you know, we've got a great uh, partnerships and business development team that, you know, that really reaches out to leagues and content providers, um, kind of tells the candy story, talks about, you know, how we can deliver value, not just commercial value, but engagement value and fan value and data value. And so, you know, that's a core part of our business. Hmm. Interesting. Awesome space. I mean, it's fun to just be on the front running of such a, yeah. such, such a high octane space. Um, well, you know, what I tell my, what I tell my team as we've been building the company, uh, is, you know, it's a great challenge and privilege to build a company from scratch. It's an even greater challenge and privilege to do it in a space that doesn't really exist, right? To, you know, define what does it mean to be a digital collectible company in this, in this new world. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and you were, 
you started at Parametric. You had been at finance, but I think Parametric was your foray into crypto, blockchain research slash investing, advising. Um, are there other people that you've learned from or really try to pay attention to uh, books, YouTube channels, et cetera? Like when you think about going from what you were doing to what you are doing in such a short period of time, I'm sure you must have dedicated time to like learning about it. Is Did you approach it more casually, like surf Twitter, or did you more focus yeah, on Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say my, my career in finance has always sort of been at the intersection of finance and technology. Before I started on Wall Street, you know, my education is an, I'm an architect from MIT. And so, you know, by nature, I'm a builder. Uh, I just happen to do it in, you know, with financial products as opposed to, you know, bricks and steel. Um, but I've always been interested in building new businesses in the finance space. And so, you know, I created a ton of new financial products and sort of started new businesses and, you know, helped to build new trading technology. And so that's always been a core interest of mine. So blockchain was just a natural extension, as I said, you know, kind of really thinking about what, what was it going to mean? What was this new technology going to mean for stores of value and transactions and transaction processing? Um, you know, it, as I mentioned, my, my partner, Mike Novogratz, was, was kind of the guy who really got me, you know, excited and oriented in the space. And then, you know, one, once I sort of started to learn about it, you know, I, I because I'm from MIT, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work that was done early days at MIT. And so there were resources there to, you know, to kind of dig in on, you know, done a bunch of reading. And, you know, it, it, I try to stay as curious as I can be. Um, you know, as as you know, there's an almost there's an infinite amount of information, uh, you know, in this space uh, that you can stay on top of. Like, you know, I'd say like the bankless guys are are some of my favorites in terms of just, cut, you know, staying on top of what's happening in the space. And then you know, I try to be smart about looking around the corner and sort of seeing th where things are going, right? And like, you know, what's the outcome of the chain wars that I, you know, that I think we're sort of ultimately in? And, you know, are we moving to a multi-chain world? Is, you know, what's the impact of the merge going to be? And so uh, I try to read as much as I possibly can. I try to talk to smart people and just, you know, be humble about what I don't know and, you know, figure out how I learn more. Hey, any specific things you're reading, like Substacks or any Twitter accounts that you find undervalued or worth mentioning? You know, I, nothing I would nothing I would say yeah. that is, you know, secret alpha, right? I, you know, I sure, I, sure. I, I, I try to stay on top of of crypto Twitter, and um, you know, I I I, just, I love the guys at A16Z, and you know, the 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 stuff that they put out, whether it's on the podcasts or whether it's um, you know, the newsletters, and so. I try to be a, uh, I, I would try to be a voyager across lots of different sources and not just rely on one or two. Smart, smart. Uh, Scott, where are you online? We'll have all the links for, I like candy.com. I was, I was doing a little homework on the, uh, the domain. I, I, I don't know exactly how you guys acquired it, but I listened to a short podcast of the guy who sold it to the people who were building the candy company prior to, which is that, is that the origin? Like, uh, did it go, did it go like business idea, find a domain, this is available, or does it go kind of serendipitously, Hey, we have this domain available. It was, um, no, it was, uh, you know, start the business, uh, you know, kind of put the vision together, started building the team and then really thinking about what did we, what were we going to call the company? And, um, you know, kind of thinking about, okay. As I said earlier, like 
we we didn't because we because we're speaking to a non-crypto and native audience we didn't necessarily want a, a bit or a crypto uh you know or a or 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 something that was too uh you know i'd say inaccessible for the everyday consumer in our name we we're starting in the sports space, but we knew that we were going to do stuff in entertainment and culture. And so we didn't want to have something that was completely sports focused. And so, you know, along the lines of, you know, what, what are names that everyone recognizes people have a positive association to and can be kind of extensible across lots of different things. Candy came up on the list. And so, you know, we, we, uh, narrowed in on that and negotiated it and ended up getting that, uh, you know, getting that domain. Now, can you mention how much it was? that i cannot yeah i'm guessing it wasn't cheap <laughs> domain yeah it is it is a catchy one i mean i'll give you that it's worth it's hot it costs more than my you know than my pns donating i'll just leave it yeah yeah i think i think i saw it traded uh for three million per, with the guy in the podcast mentioned that's what it was the transaction was to the uh candy company but that was years ago so yeah domains aren't cheap but um that's awesome uh, any, any particular, uh, throw uh, things you want to throw out? Are you tweeting? Are you writing personally? We'll have all the candy references. You know, I, um, I, I, I try to keep people posted on what, what I'm doing on LinkedIn, um, you know, mainly, you know, around, around the company, we, you know, we're active on, on Twitter primarily. Um, I, you know, I, I've been probably less active putting my own sort of general thoughts out there around what's happening in the space. I, you know, I, I need to get a, a little bit of breathing room to, uh, you know, to, to spend a bit more time on that. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, uh, I'm less personally active on Twitter. Uh, I'd say, you know, link, LinkedIn tends to be where I, where I put my, my thoughts out there. Nice. Scott, thanks so much for hopping on. I enjoyed the time. Congrats on everything. Yeah. Likewise. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it, Mike. All right. Talk soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.